so say a few words on Dhamma and uh, <coughs> so I'm not I don't know what your <coughs> you know what you normally how you normally think or what how your what your understanding of the teachings are or what your particular concerns or interests are so I'll just try to give a something broad particularly Related to the practice of meditation since we've been meditating together, so I guess that's what we all do and have in common as a starting place. As you, as you know, meditation is very much um, bringing the teachings into the level of direct, tangible experience. Yeah, so we can have study Buddhism, read about Buddhism, have you can get intellectual grasp of the teachings or intellectual interest in the teachings and the meditation is the direct experience of it so we're not just uh, have the idea but we can feel it we can feel the process of our own bodies, our own minds our own consciousness, our own conscious process and with that, not thinking about it this itself is quite a shift because uh, one of the faculties of human beings is this tremendous capacity for abstract knowledge so this is how we can plan the future we can remember the past, we can organize things we can think about other people because they have this ability to abstract form an idea based on a memory, based on an imagination so we're very gifted at that and most of our lives will run around that it's not necessarily you know, great profound ideas but we remember today is Tuesday and it's time for dinner and five people are coming tonight and you need to do this, you need to do that all that is abstract so it's ideas uh, but they're useful because you're able then to plan and get things going so that when things happen you're ready for it abstract the only difficulty with this is of course that uh, you know, it's going on all the time and with abstract knowledge and abstract way of working with the mind there's no limit to what you can experience in abstract we could be thinking about the moon we could be thinking about the nature of the stars we could be thinking about Greek philosophy we could be thinking about planning a, you know, a housing estate in Kuala Lumpur we could be thinking about a desalination project in Australia we could be thinking about you know, the rights and wrongs of humanity we could be reviewing world religions we could be thinking about just about anything and yeah. it need never end but it doesn't end and if anything, you run out of ideas, you always think about yourself about what you are, about what you're not about what you should be about what you might never be about what you fear you will be about what you hope you could be what you think you were why you think you were like that whose fault it is and so forth you can, you can think about that forever the Buddha said this is when you get into the tangle of views when you think about yourself 
you really need never stop because you can think about why you're thinking about yourself <laughs> and how thinking about yourself works well, it goes on and on and on so it's just like uh, the more you think, the more you think about thinking and the more you have more ideas to think about and it goes on so this, uh, this particular trend of abstract thinking is a very difficult one to check because we operate like that a lot of the time and certainly it is a useful faculty the problem is knowing how to switch it off or make it more useful this is what we start to develop this skill or this shifting of gears as I sometimes call it in meditation it doesn't mean becoming stupid you know, or just going to kind of numb state but it's actually um, using the capacity to think in a very limited, a very specific, a very particular way. It's using the, the one of the features of Buddha Dharma is a lot of it is about inquiry, about asking self questions, about wisdom, about checking things out. Is it like this or is it like that? How does it seem to you? Feel it out. Hmm. Does this work? Where does it take you? Where does this idea, what does it feel like? This particular emotion, what happens to it? So a lot of it is based upon actually using that um, thought faculty uh, to describe our experience in a way that's purposeful, that's useful. And fundamentally, the usefulness of it is not to be describing ourself. I'm like this, I'm like that, I should be like this, I'm never like that. But just to describe the cause or the effect of, of our emotions, of our feelings, of our thoughts. This one, what does it feel like? Hmm. Where does it take you to? Does it take you to agitation? Does it take you to joy? And so we start to recognize certain fundamental truths that we can know for ourselves directly. We start to know that a generous intention, a generous attitude, a generous emotion leads you to a place of happiness. Yeah. That feeling Indignant, feeling jealous, takes you to a place of unhappiness. You start to recognize that ill will, however justified it may be, is a miserable state. It makes you feel miserable, tight, angry. You don't settle down. You can't feel ill will in a relaxed, laid back, peaceful way. You can't feel comfortable with ill will. It makes you feel hot, itchy, and tense. Yeah. So this isn't making mock judgments in a kind of abstract way that you shouldn't have ill will. It's actually recognizing directly ill will feels like this. Ooh, why don't I give it up? Put it aside. Why don't I generate goodwill? Why don't I, if along the way of doing that, why don't I just at first at least step back, witness things like fear, anxiety, regret, concerns, just witness them so you're able to 
change gear from being the thought to being the witness of the thought, to being the witness of the emotions. And this is your, if you like, your your neutral gear. You come out of top gear, you come into neutral, and then you can, as you gain freedom from the grip of those emotions, then you can decide which gear you want to engage. You're not just locked. Yeah. And you can think what you want to think, that's useful. And often this uh, useful thinking will tend to happen by itself. You know, in a way, it's surprising. You suddenly realize, oh, I just need to be a bit more patient, that's all. Yeah. It's often very simple thinking, the insights, the realizations or insight knowledge that comes from the disengagement with compulsive drives, with compulsive attachments is often a very simple realization. It's not a whole description to say, it's just insight into, oh well, that comes and goes and changes. I just need to be more patient with it. Yeah. End of the story. Rather than she did this and he did that and they never like this and they always like that and then you You start to as you disengage the thought you feel the emotion underneath it. You feel a sense of irritation. You feel a sense of being overwhelmed. Why does this happen to me? I don't like, I don't want to be with this. Yeah. And as you feel that, you, know, you get a, the first movement that comes from that being in neutral is a, is a response that comes from insight, wisdom, the first movement is perhaps one of kindness and compassion. Oh, just, just let go of that. Just be open and relax a little bit. It's okay. It's okay. You don't feel so defensive or guilty or have to act upon it. Instead of the mind moving into action, the movement mind opens up and allows this response to come from the heart. You feel a sense of compassion and concern, for and welfare. The mind begins to calm down. So this is very necessary because then what happens when we are very much living and using our minds in terms of abstract thought is we lose touch with the sense of being regenerated by a warm part of this by a feeling of being okay with ourselves, a feeling of being happy with ourselves. Because our minds are so busy, the future, the past, plans, the ideas, that we sometimes lose touch with how we can really nourish ourselves. So particularly in the developed, what we call the developed world, where the place is getting developed, generally means development of abstract thought and people start to eventually go a little bit crazy with it. You know, it the thing has become so overloaded, so insistent, so persistent and compulsive, the nerves start to burn out. It's like you've got all this juice running through your nervous system and you start to get just stressed, deeply stressed, because the thing won't, won't slow down, won't switch off. You get anxiety. And then you feel depressed, feel overworked, overwhelmed. Then people start to take too 
drink or drugs to try and just switch things off and then things really get into a mess then and what is really needed for uh, so many people is the sense of, of warm heartedness towards themselves and others and they're less driven by the ideas of the thinking mind the ideas of success, the fear of failure the ideas of what we could gain, the fear of what we could lose the ideas of what we should be, the fear of what we might be the ideas of what we think other people think about us the fear of what we think other people think about us am I doing good enough? am I a loser? do they think I'm a fool? people know and once you get into this your mind can think just about anything and every one of these thoughts carries an impression that hits you straight in the heart you know, so your, your thinking mind can be striking your heart a thousand times a day with these doubts and thoughts and worries you know? and the poor heart just ends up shriveling up into a defensive <laughs> shut down you know? try and shut down so I don't feel all this going on so when, certainly when I if I travel into London particularly during what they call the rush hour which is humanity its most dehumanised it's just like uh, just seeing human beings just like meat in a, in a processing factory being shoved into metal tubes and you know, rushing off into the here and there and everywhere nobody's in their body nobody can see anybody else you see people who actually are so caught up in where they're going and this compulsion to get somewhere they hardly notice what's going on around them in the present moment yeah. and it's, it's kind of very, very eerie it's very weird to see so many beings around who are emotionally disconnected from each other yeah. And a friend of mine said he one day when he was on the train coming into Waterloo and he got up at Waterloo and he saw somebody who just had been stroked so that and just collapsed collapsed on the platform and just couldn't take it anymore this man in a suit he just, just couldn't stand it just collapsed on the platform crying stand it. and then people just walked past him because nobody could even they could sort of see him with their eyes but nobody could see him with their hearts their hearts were just shut down because they're that's what happens when you're overwhelmed, your heart shuts down you see how you know, necessary it is to clear this so we can come back to our hearts because the only thing that's going to regenerate and refresh you is coming from your, your heart, isn't it? Your, your emotion, your emotional body if you don't look after it, it can't look after you so this is a very direct thing the saying right here and now we can we don't have to wait till the end of the week to get a break we don't have to wait till we're a success and retire at the age of 65 before you get a break <laughs> you get a break now <laughs> you know it's just a matter of being able to come out of that that stuckness of the thinking mind the abstract thinking mind so a lot of this um, 
practice is just like that. And there's a particular shift that's necessary, and there's a, it's a, like a shift of energy. You know, where, because this is what unhooks us. So we kind of mind is running along, running along, running along, and the thoughts are running. All thoughts are believable. So you, if you think about your thinking, that doesn't help. Think, stop thinking, that doesn't help. Thinking, thinking drives me mad, it doesn't stop me thinking. You've got to actually check the energy of it, stop the energy of it. Yeah. This is why in direct experience of meditation we, we do that. We say, stop that energy and turn it towards asking yourself the question, how is your body now? And you're not looking for an answer really, you're not saying, well my body's fine, or my body's five foot tall, or my body is fat, or my body is old, that's enough, get to the next topic. Just say, no, 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 I wonder how it feels. Feels okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> now, just use the thinking mind to point. This is the skill called vitaka. Vitaka. Vitaka means non-proliferating thought. So instead of the thought spinning off, the thought is just what pointing. So you like you're considering the, the sense of having a body. And then is that like coming back to any of the five huh? senses? Is, is it like coming back to any of the five? Well, in body meditation, come back to the sense of touch, the somatic sense. And that's very important because the body, you know, you have your thinking energy, which is it has a kind of intelligence, you have the emotional energy, which also has a kind of intelligence, it's the intelligence of relationship, and knows how things feel. You have a body energy, and this has intelligence. The body intelligence knows things like tension, balance, relaxation, stress, aggression love, you can feel those, those really affect your body. Um, so when we come into our bodies, then you're not really look, thinking of, of, of the idea of your body as a visual experience, you try to feel the feelings of it, the sensations of it. And it's quite a revelation because, you know, you may think you know your body from looking in the mirror, but that's just a visual impression of it. There's a tactile impression of it, which is the sense of touch. There's also what we call a somatic impression, which is the nervous energy of it. When it feels tense, flustered, relaxed, when it feels narrow, when it feels wide. So generally when you're in a hurry you feel quite narrow and tight. When you relax you tend to feel broad, wide, soft. Now, nothing's physically happened to your body, but your nerve endings have, have changed. And that's that particular shift of the nervous energy that is very conducive, because the nervous energy of the body affects the nervous energy of the thinking mind. So when your body energy softens and widens, the thinking mind softens and relaxes. Yeah. And when it softens and relaxes, your emotional 
seemed to start to open up because finally they got some room. There wasn't any room before. <laughs> and you think, wow. And then the first thing you feel when your emotions is, wow, I feel so strange, you know. Uh, and uh, I need to, but then you, your emotional intelligence is about how to relate to things. So you feel that sense of uncertainty is a quality of calming, warmth, steady that occurs as a natural result of that. But the primary way in which we access the body energy is through the sitting posture, opening up the front of the body, and then developing this breathing, you know, or, or, or rather uh, unrestricting the breathing clearing the restrictions in the breathing. Often people just breathe from the top of their chest. So you want to have an unrestricted breath that goes all the way down through the body into the belly and finishes. And a breath that sweeps from the belly on up through the chest up into the throat. So it's completely free of any restrictions. And then the effect of that is the whole nervous energy of the body is refreshed. You feel it in your face, you feel it in your eyes, your fingers. This is what we call the, the energy of the body, the breath energy or chi. It's rather like that. Yeah. And so, vitaka, the thinking or considering mind, or the mind that points towards something, how is this? It's a very simple thought. How is this? How is this? How is this? It's like a finger. How, how is the breath now? Where is it now? And you back it up with the other quality of the thinking mind, which is vichara, which is the sense of, how does it feel? So one is saying, if you like, where is it or what is it? Vichara just points. And vichara is rather like the hand that follows it, saying, what's that feel like? It's rather like, you know, making soup. You know, vichara is you put the spoon in the soup, and you challenge you take the spoon out and you suck the soup to find out that it's too salty or too sour or whatever it is. What is it? So that means you consider, you investigate, you sense the qualities of it. And these two work together. So the Vitaka is the pointing through mindfulness. We bear this in mind, keep coming back to this. Vichara is the sampling which gives you the quality of full awareness. Real comprehensive awareness of what's going on. And that awareness then starts to give you feedback. It feels a little bit too forceful, relaxed. Feels a little bit dull, stagnant, right now. Feels like the mind is slipping off, sharpening, give it some more, give it more energy. You know? And this is the way you start to work through what are called the five hindrances which are results of this imbalanced energy, results of our ways of thinking, results of confusion. Uh, energy of ill will or aversion, feel sour, it's kind of sourness, you know. So when we're sour and grumpy, then you can find fault in just about everything. In a sour, grumpy mood. When you're in a hungry, craving mood, you start to get all sorts of fantasies about food or drink or sense pleasures. Yeah. And of course you can kind of say, well, this is wrong, but, but even if you think it's wrong, it doesn't stop it. 
what you need to do is actually balance the energy so you feel satisfied and comfortable in yourself and you don't feel grumpy. And when you feel calm and satisfied yourself, you don't feel sense appetite because you're getting some nice energy from just breathing in and breathing out. It's steadier, it's calm, it's more satisfying. And the other hindrances are what we have dullness, which is a big problem for meditators, because when you do sit down after the end of the day's work, you've been busy all day, you sit down and sit still, it's like suddenly you hit the wall. Boom. It's rather like you running the car at 100 kilometers an hour and suddenly you want it to go down to, to 2 kilometers an hour, the engine stalls. It's just too, the shift is too great and you just conk out because your mind isn't used to operating in a slow, mindful, receptive way. So it just kind of blurs and blot out. And that, sometimes you don't even know it because you're so dull, you don't even know you're dull. You think you're feeling calm. And so you hear this sort of heavy breathing from somewhere and you realize it's you. It's you. It's your own breathing, you know, snoring. <laughs> so then, you know, the, the energy is not not fully traveling through the body. So you pull your body upright, you open your eyes. And actually one of the interesting tips about dullness is, is, you, is that if you breathe less, it wakes you up. You may think that the way to get more uh, energy is to breathe more, but actually breathing more gives you less energy. When you sleep, you have this kind of breathing pattern of kind of panting. Uh, but if you, if you stop breathing, if you breathe out, hold the out breath and wait for a few seconds before you breathe in, it will certainly wake you up. And if you do that uh, practice of slowing your breathing down and refining it, the energy of the breathing becomes stronger and sharper even as the oxygen level drops sharpens you up yeah, so then you can find you can refresh yourself just by breathing in and breathing out restlessness is often a result of the mind not being able to find anything to settle down and again you can try to think you should be mindful, you should concentrate on the breath, you should settle down, but saying should doesn't actually make it do it. You know? But it's rather like the mind is like a, like a dog running around in circles, chasing his tail. And you just go running after it, it runs faster. And you go chasing it with a stick, it runs faster. Yeah? What you need to do is get a nice basket and a big bowl of food and make it really pleasant and then the dog oh that looks nice and the dog will then come and sit down because he wants to be with that so uh, when we practice mindfulness of breathing one of, the fact, one of the features of it is to develop a sense of comfortable happy easefulness and the mind is attracted to that yeah. And this, this, this sense of it will actually comes from the body energy. And, you know, the basis of it is when your body energy starts to become more satisfied, when your breath becomes fully lengthened and fulfilled, there is a strange inner pleasure that occurs. And this is a great uh, discovery 
because many people are confused because they sense that if you cut off sense pleasures you must be really bleak and maybe you know like if you're a monk or renunciate you must be really bleak and used to being really bleak but no, we're just having a good time that's what it's about <laughs> you know, as you discover this quality of this inner inner pleasure the outer pleasures seem a bit rough and uh, uneven, unsatisfying because the inner pleasure can stay with you, it's soft it's suffusive, it's, uh, the Buddha likened it to um, like an inner massage, as if this quality of softness is penetrating the whole body and when you, when you, as you develop that, the mind gets very bright and interested it starts to bond into that this is what we call samadhi samadhi is really not the effort of concentration samadhi is the result of feeling happy so when you think of concentration you shouldn't really think of I've got to concentrate you think I should be mindful fully aware patient and kind to myself and stay with the breathing keep bringing the mind back to breathing and then happiness will arise your happiness arises it's inner happiness, your mind will settle in it that's the way it goes, you can't bash your mind into samadhi you can't order your mind into samadhi you can't throttle your mind into samadhi <laughs> you have to give it somewhere warm to sit down, it will sit down. so then this gives you the re- re- restlessness and then uh, doubt or speculative thinking because uh, when, you, when your mind settles there's not really anything you need to think about or figure out you know you begin to know for yourself there is in this level a sense of completion or happiness and really most of our expect thinking in the end is derived at what's going to bring me satisfaction what's going to bring me to a sense of satisfaction so we may be thinking about things that in the long run we feel will give us a happy result planning our lives, figuring things out so that in the end we'll, be, we'll have a good comfortable result yeah. or we may be thinking about how does the universe work so that in the end we'll have a sense of knowledge that gives us a feeling of comfort and stability yeah. or we may be thinking other, figure, thinking about other people so we can figure out who's the friends, who's the enemies, what we should do and then eventually we will feel comfortable and happy this is the long way round and if you notice that this can go on all your life <laughs> and it never really comes to a conclusion but most of your thinking is really based upon what in the end will give you a feeling of satisfaction, completion, fulfillment, happiness comfort, stability and saying well this does breathing in and breathing out does <laughs> end of that issue yeah. at least you know where you can find it yeah. so then, in the, you re- then you begin to really trust something that's very simple it's not a religious belief it's not a doctrine it's not an idea yeah, it's not. For, it's for everybody who can, who's got a body who can breathe in and breathe out. 
and it's providing you with one place where you can feel there is a sense of the suffering or the stress in my mind and there's a place where that ends and how I can do it. This is the beginning of feeling a resolution, feeling confidence in what the Buddha was talking about, the Four Noble Truths. And as you look into that more fully, and as you begin to reflect upon it using this process of, of Vitaka Vichara, reflective thought, you begin to see how really around that, that central experience, you begin to see what are the kind of attitudes and values and ways of life that fit in with that. Yeah? Ways of life that keep that in mind. For me, I give myself time to practice. I'm not crazy with big ideas that mean I have a sense of modesty, so I'm not too caught up in the external world, so I can come in. I'm careful with my responsibilities, so I'm not so busy that I can never go within myself. But also a sense of self-respect, so that I feel whenever I attend to myself, I don't feel a sense of regret or doubt or remorse. So, well, morality will do that. Loving-kindness will do that. So gradually, with all these contributory factors so the, the Eightfold Path assemble themselves around the central sense of direct experience. What are the causes that give rise to the effects of well-being? Yeah. And this is the central axis of the Buddha's teaching. It may seem sometimes incredibly simple and, well, you know, what's happened, how is that? But it's very profound because it starts to affect everything you do, say, how you live, who you associate with, and the effects of that run through your life. And then you begin to recognize also that none of this experience that we are affected by is really a person, it's just energies and emotions and thoughts, and we're receptive to what's going on around us. So we start to acknowledge that we're not independent beings. This is what begins to get the idea of this realization of not self. I'm not just some single unit. I'm also affected and conditioned by everything that's going on around me. So I have to be careful about that. You know, when you have a wrong understanding of not self, the wrong understanding of not self, which some people sometimes mention is, well, if there's no self here, it doesn't really matter what you do. Because there's nobody here who receives pleasure and pain, there's nobody here who gets enlightened, there's nobody here who's going to feel miserable. Well, such a person, you just drop a lock on their toe and say, there's nobody here who feels the pain. <laughs> See what happens. <laughs> now, it isn't about that, it's about saying, there's something here, there's a lot here, there's so much here that it's bigger than any sense of self. Yeah. It's not a nihilism, it's a sense of there's something vast that, that's happening that can't be defined as some local, personal, finite self. Yeah. And we're, in some way, this, this awareness we have is connected to everything that we've said and done, everything we've heard. There's karma, cause and effect, 
Um, we're tuned into our weather, our physical illnesses, our happiness. We're affected by everything in the world around us. So this means we're receptive, we're responsive, and we're also careful about what we really give our attention to. Everything you attend to gives you an effect of some kind. So you set a sense of what am I going to associate with? Wherever I associate with will have its effect on me. Be careful with your attention, what you look at. Everything that you intend, every, every impulse that you have, every sense of directing yourself that you have, every inclination you have, to go to the shops, or to go to work, or to see somebody, or meet somebody, or plan something, has an effect. Yeah, it leads to effects that, that, come, that you can't escape from. This is karma. So we begin to sense that and realize, well, those causes and energies that are based upon greed, acquisition, ambition, they don't feel so good to me. They have this effect of throwing me out. They have this effect of stirring the mind up. Let me just seek that which I need, that which is really necessary. Let me intend seek what is for the welfare of myself and for the, and for the welfare of others, so I have a sense of living in happiness and harmony with other beings. Let me seek ways in which I can be generous and share and help others. This has a good effect on my mind. So you begin to pick up proper intentions, skillful attention, and careful contact. Like what, you, what contacts you, you don't grasp at and you don't push away. So as we recognize, you know, you sit and meditate, the very experience of contact brings you pleasure and brings you pain and stirs you up. Most obviously it's the contact of the that occurs in the physical form. The legs get sore, back aches when you sit still. Oh, I'm trying to get that pain. Oh, oh, yeah, you're struggling. Sit another way, says, don't have to feel that pain. I remember my first few years of meditation, I was always doing this wriggle, trying not to feel this way and feel that way. Eventually, I started the sense of wriggling around itself was just so uncomfortable. I said, I'll just sit with it instead. And instead of trying to get away from it, I just practice breathing into it, softening, breathing, relaxing the mind and sending good nervous energy through that and then the pain tended to soften and after a while it became something that it didn't seem to matter anymore, it wasn't, it wasn't throwing me around, I wasn't on fire with it, yeah. and so the whole thing the body could relax and you, you could work with pain. Probably more useful than that is the painful mental contact that we experience when you suddenly remember something you should do. Oh! And you remember something bad you've done. Oh! And you remember something terrible somebody said to you. Oh! And you remember something terrible you said to somebody else. Oh! <laughs> yeah? And for these painful contacts, stab the mind. And you, or you remember things over a year or so that, oh, you remember things, you know, that you didn't do that you should have done, oh, you remember things you did do that you didn't, did do that you shouldn't have done, oh, 
and so on. So these contacts in the, the, the thinking mind stab the heart. So when, a, when it's like that, then we just have to start to breathe instead of these obsessive thoughts about what I regret, guilt, anxiety, ill will, grudges, we just may all beings be well right now. You know, finish. May I forgive myself, may I forgive others. May other beings be at peace. Even people I don't like, may they be at peace. Why not? It doesn't do me any harm. (laughs) And it makes me feel good to have that energy in my mind rather than the, well, he did this and he never does that and that kind of thought. So you see the different kind of contact that can come. And you realize your, your own mind is something that, that is, you're in contact with your emotions. And if you sustain negative emotions, they give you negative contact and the whole thing gets agitated and spins around. So this is looking at direct experience. When we form abstract experience, we think, well, he should be this way and he should be that way, it's not fair. He's a wrong person, he's a bad person, he should be punished. She's a good person, she's a lovely person, she'd be rewarded. And you're doing all this all the time. Yeah? You start to judge everybody, and judge the world, and judge yourself. At the end of it, all you have is just a mess of thoughts running around, agitated feelings. Really, the, the fundamental thing is to get really simple in your thinking. Just what is for my welfare, what is for other people's welfare. May they be well, may they enjoy well-being, may they be at peace with them. Let's start with that, work out the details later on. (laughs) So this is how we meditate, this is how we use our thinking minds, this is how we bring them into the body, this is how we freshen and revise our thinking. And uh, so in this way we are then you know, making ourselves ready, prepared to deal with life as it happens to us. So, this is uh, one of the main themes of meditation. It's not to get away from it all, but to change our views and our perspectives on it all. So, after this, for your reflection tonight. So, if you have any, any questions or things you'd like to talk about, then. Please, uh, no hurry, but you know, you saw a few minutes to think things over. Something comes to mind, I'm happy to, to address it as best I can. of inquiry um, does sometimes or a lot of the time entail thinking but um, the first step is actually just to 
feel, feel the emotion, feel the mind state as, it, as it's actually happening. As the Buddha would say, no, this is the mind affected by worry, this is the mind affected by happiness, this is the mind affected by love, this is the mind affected by your will. So you just want to get to that place where you just feel, really feel the effects of it. And you feel it as it's happening. Then, instead of trying to figure out whether it's because she said this or because he did that, we instead, which you could call it the cause, could be seen as that, when you, when you go through this process of stepping back and feeling it, the answer is somewhat different. Yeah, the answer is somewhat different. This agitation, this sense is based upon based upon expectation. Based upon wanting something. Based upon resistance to something. It's not really based upon anybody else in direct experience. In direct experience, the only thing that really affects you is the mind itself. Now, of course, other people can, can trigger that off, but really the, 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 the most radical form of relief from that is to go to the direct experience of how your own mind is doing it. Because you can't go around the world checking everybody else to make sure that nobody's going to be offensive, everybody's going to be punctual, nobody's going to be something you don't want, nobody's going to be happy, understand what you're saying. You can't do that. What you can do, I can deal with everybody else, but I can deal with my own sense of frustration, disappointment, expectation. My own, my own sense of um, feeling hurt when people blame me. So that's what you get through directly experiencing the mind in itself, rather than thinking about causes. You get a feel for the cause. You feel that it's really happening. Yeah. So, you know, we notice in, in, in when people get together, there's always going to be disappointments of some kind, always something we, we wish for or feel concerned about. What a hassle being with people. But actually, the problem is that we, that you take what people say and you let it go right into you. you know? Or, you want people to be a certain way, and they won't be that way. So, see, see, actually, what you can do is stop that thing that your mind is doing. Yeah. That's the cause of suffering. It's a very immediate cause, which is basically leaning on things. Put, you know, the technical word is grasping, but it's really like you, your mind always adopts, always leans upon sights, sounds, external events. So it gets hurt, it gets disappointed, it gets shocked because it's leaning on something that can't support it. You know? 
So instead, bring the mind back to rest in itself. And this is you know, in, in, its, in its awareness. And it doesn't need all things, and you don't get knocked around. So that process of investigation means you, you point your mind, you point your attention, and you start to feel it out. Is it, and then it's very little thought at all. More like an intuitive sensing. Well, it's more emotional intelligence than thought intelligence. But at the end of it, we'll come up with a thought. That's what I'm doing. Okay. You know, I'm, getting, I'm getting hung up on what people say. That's the problem. You know, can the, the result comes up as a thought, but the realization isn't the thought. You know, it's like how many parents get, so many mothers I talk to say, oh, my daughter's doing this and she's doing that, and I'm worried about this, and she never listens, and we can't be getting with each other, you know, and, and she never listens to me. I say, oh, you know, um, you know, and it really takes the time to recognize your daughter is not your daughter, she's herself. <laughs> You know, it's a very simple intellectual understanding. Emotionally, it's a big, big movement to make. This is another person. You can't actually make her be the way you want her to be. If you try, she's going to really start to resist you. You've got to, you know, by the time they're 18, 20, they're who they are, then you've got to live with it. So there's a way they keep, you know, they, they teach you a few things. <laughs> you know, to sort of start to learn that. Life isn't the way I want it to be. And, you know, emotionally, intellectually, things are quite easy. But emotionally, very difficult. Somebody dies, it's obvious somebody's going to die. You know, but emotionally, that's a big shock. Yeah. People leave us, we feel that sense of bereavement and grief. And obviously, that's what's going to happen. But emotionally, it takes a lot of doing to really understand the cause of that was your mind was leaning on them, trying to adopt them, trying to make them part of what I am. You can't, it's not going to work. But we need, in a way, to have something else that we can rest in, in order to, to let go of that. You can't let go until there's something else there that you can find your stability in. This is what meditation is about. Considered healthy and 
because in work, yes, we, we do think and we do use our thinking to solve problems. Uh, but sometimes it can get to a level where you can't stop. Yeah. Uh, but we know that when you can't stop, that's when it's, it's gone too far. But at what stage, you know, we <laughs> might that time. Well, you know, you can't always have that kind of precision of introspection when you're working, that's the problem, isn't it? Your attention is drawn out, so you can't really have that fine-tuning introspection to notice the rhythms, the energies of your thinking mind. So you have to, in a way, kind of uh, grow a quality, you know, with meditation over a period of time, you know, the more consistently you, you develop this, this sensitivity, you know, which comes in away from the nervous system, feeling, feeling yourself getting tensed up, till so it becomes a more continual reference over a period of time. Or when you feel you're losing your body, you know, you're so out in your, your dreams and ideas, there's no awareness in your body at all. It's like walking into walls, you know. <laughs> People do. <laughs> then you know, hey, hey, stop. You know, this, is, this is definitely a signal. Uh, <clears throat> um, you know, in a way, also, we can, you know, you can't always think in a slow, careful, measured way. But uh, you can recognize that. Uh, you know, when you know your mind, you know you can go into this rather risky territory of a lot of thinking, but you, you're kind of, you're aware at least of the ethical quality of it. If I'm starting to start gossiping and grumbling about people, there should be a warning light going off somewhere, something's wrong, you know. So you, if you're aware of the ethical quality of it, that, that's helpful. So start going really sour or nasty or bad mouthing thoughts. What's going on? Check. Um, So you start to look at, not necessarily the thought, but the general feeling of them. So sometimes, of course, we just just really enjoy, you know, speculative thinking, figuring out a puzzle, doing crosswords, something like that, or, you know, academic inquiry, get really, get a lot of fun out of it. But, um, you know, there's a point at which if you, if you leave, if you're not in your body, if you leave your body too many times, you know, you're in a way leaving your best friend behind. Because when you lose contact with your body, real feeling in the body, also you start to lose contact with the very qualities that can, can balance thought. And then be careful because your thoughts will suddenly turn. Yeah? And you know, this is where people go crazy. Or, yeah, I mean, when I was at university, it was a few, few students would end up killing themselves. Just too much thinking. And it wasn't the thoughts that weren't necessarily you know, philosophy or chemistry or physics, not bad topics, but just they're so 
spun out with thought and the thought suddenly went round a dark corner into who I am, what I'm going to do with my life and they couldn't control it and they got despair and killed themselves so this does happen so we should be really cautious of leaving our best friend behind you know, thinking is rather like driving a Porsche car, you know, it's, it's great fun, but be careful, the thing can crash. <laughs> when you have that basic understanding of thinking, you know, a certain sense of awareness about it, use it. When you need, you know, when you need to go somewhere fast, okay, you can get in your car and drive it, but don't stay there all the time. You know, you've got to come out. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I find things like if I'm doing a lot of writing work or I just, you know, got a clock and maybe periodically, maybe an hour and a half or so, wait a minute, an hour and a half's gone by. Just stop for five minutes, just stand up, squeeze your hands, flex your knees, come in your body, breathe in, breathe out. Five minutes, that's all. Not half an hour of meditation, five minutes, you know. So I do that just to sort of don't waste the end of the day. I just have these mini breaks for a few minutes. Here's one of the warning signs would be when you start to feel a bit of tension. You start to feel a bit of tension, you start to feel tension. A bit of well, all thought uses uh, uses a lot of energy. It's greedy, and it's all the thinking mind is much tenser than the mind without thought. You know, the thinking mind is already there's a high energy nervous charge. When the mind stops thinking, it's much feels much more wide, soft, deep, expansive. It's a different energy altogether. And that's where you get your refreshment from, your regeneration from that, that depth and that, that, that width and that uh, comfort. <laughs>